0: Snuff production.
1: You hear a lot about political footballs, but what about footballers in politics? Well, there is actually a bit of a funny legacy in Australia, actually. One of the most famous rugby league players ever had the shortest ever political career, Mal Meninga. <laughs> It lasted a few seconds. Here's the famous moment in the media interview where it all fell apart in 2001.
2: I was just a person out there making sure that I was, um, <laughs> I'm buggered.
1: I'm sorry. That's all right. I'd resign. So, yeah, that was the end of his political career. Then later on um, in 2013, Glenn Lazarus, another famous league player, also known as the Brick With Eyes, made it into the Senate for Queensland. He came in along with Clive Palmer, but then fell out with Clive and then was part of some really important decisions. Now there's a new footballer, fresh off the field, and this guy is quite different. It's David Pocock. He's a rugby union player, not a league player. And he's one of the best wallabies of all time. And even when he was playing, he made his political colours quite well known. He was arrested when he was chained to a bulldozer for 10 hours, trying to stop a coal mine expansion. And he famously held off officiating his own marriage until gay couples could get married. So that got a lot of attention. And now he's running for the Australian Capital Territory Senate. So why is he doing that? Could he actually make a difference? Will he actually get in? Well, we'll ask him all those questions. He's our guest on this episode's briefing. It is Wednesday, the 6th of April. Tom Tilly with you joined by Antoinette Latouf for the headlines.
0: The text message exchange where the PM Scott Morrison was called a horrible, horrible person by the former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has been revealed. The full message from Berejiklian says... Morrison is a horrible, horrible person. He is actively spreading lies and briefing against me re the fires.
1: Yeah, so one of the reasons this is interesting is it directly contradicts what Scott Morrison said on ABC 730 last night.
3: There was a leaked text from Gladys Berejiklian calling you a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> That's a, a
0: lot which of smi- not
1: Which she denies. So the truth is, she didn't deny sending the message at the time. She actually said she didn't recall sending the message, which is quite a different thing. And now Samantha Maiden at News.com has published the full text exchange confirming what was said. We can also now see what the recipient said in response to that message. Now, this is an unnamed cabinet minister according to Peter Van Onselen and Samantha Maiden, the journalists uh, running this story. It said, Morrison is about Morrison, complete psycho. He's desperate and jealous, The mob have worked him out and he is a fraud.
0: (laughs) At first glance, this may all sound like gossip, but there are a couple of important things here. This is not just one-off slagging. It's a trend that Liberal insiders are slamming the character of the Liberal Prime Minister. And this is a major election issue and something that's boosting support for the opposition. The other is that Scott Morrison misrepresenting the truth on TV last night and being loose with the truth is part of the very same reason he's lost support with his own party.
1: Yeah, he has had a little win though, quite a significant win. There's been a bitter Liberal Party pre-selection battle, uh, which has been settled uh, in the last 24 hours. So Scott Morrison installed a string of candidates in New South Wales seats and overrided the normal member ballot voting system to do so. Now, one of the Liberal Party members, who wasn't too happy about it, challenged the appointments in court, but that challenge was thrown out yesterday.
0: And defending himself on the ABC's 7.30 last night, Morrison said... He was standing up for women in his party.
1: I'm very serious about having great women in my rank. Brutes the Prime Minister the was, was standing up to things happening in the party to make sure that quality people who are doing a quality job in their seats should be able to go forward to the next election. Yeah, so he said he would have preferred the normal rank and file members to choose candidates as they normally would, but he'd run out of time and apparently it was all about the gender issue. <laughs> um, the election is now expected to be called within days. He was waiting for this to be resolved.
0: I think it's important, Tom, to take note of both the Prime Minister's track record on telling the truth and also track record on women in power. So, for example, his current cabinet has six women or 27% women in his cabinet. So I'm just sceptical when he says that, you know, he was in there batting for women.
1: And Australia is joining the US and UK in fast tracking the development of cutting edge unmanned submarines and hypersonic missiles. And by the way, they go five times the speed of sound.
0: The Herald Sun reports Prime Minister Scott Morrison, US President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson will make a joint announcement as part of the AUKUS agreement today. Now, these weapons will be in addition to the existing commitment to develop nuclear submarines.
1: And a decision on what the submarines will actually look like is expected early next year. So that's a little while off and the submarines themselves are... What a way off. 2040.
0: And that's the thing that the technology may have changed again by 2040. Mm. So they're making a decision now for something, you know, almost 20 years away. And Senate estimates last week, we we heard that Australia scrapped the now infamous French submarine program, and that could eventually cost taxpayers more than $5 billion.
1: And another day, another very high profile international audience for the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky. He was at the Grammys earlier this week. Um, Now, overnight, he's spoken at the UN Security Council. And as part of that speech, he gave a detailed list of the alleged atrocities uh, by invading Russian troops.
0: The massacre in our city of Bucha is only one, unfortunately, only one of many examples of what the occupiers have been doing on our land for the past 41 days. Yeah, he does seem to have a very captive international audience. And Zelensky also demanded Moscow face accountability and called for Russia to be removed from the UN's Security Council. Meanwhile, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken has headed to Brussels to attend the NATO and G7 foreign ministers' meeting.
1: Yeah, he says he'll discuss support for Ukraine and the discovery of the civilian graves in Bucha.
2: It's a deliberate campaign uh, to kill, to torture, uh, to rape,
1: uh, to commit atrocities.
0: And the last thing residents of New South Wales need, that's more rain.
1: Yes, yeah, so the state's most heavily populated areas are being told to brace for yet more heavy rain.
0: We're expecting to see between 50 to 150 millimetres of widespread rainfall in these same central and southern coastal areas of New South Wales. And then we'll continue to see rainfall on Friday where we have the potential for 50 to 150 millimetres of widespread rainfall.
1: Oh, no. No. <laughs>
0: That's New South Wales Minister for Emergency Services, Steph Cook. And the Hawkesbury Nepean residents will be hoping they avoid more flooding after being inundated just a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah, so over the last six weeks, uh, SES volunteers have responded to over 30,000 calls for help and performed over 2,000 flood rescues across New South Wales. So here's to hoping there won't be any more, but it's not looking good.
0: And Premier Dominic Perrottet returned for paternity leave this week, and he went straight to Lismore. Mm. He'd been on leave since the birth of his seventh child two and a half weeks ago, and uh, while he was there, he announced grants of $20,000 for each flood-affected household in eight local government areas.
1: Yeah, which will be quite helpful, but not enough for some people who didn't have insurance and who've been Mm. absolutely smashed, in some cases, twice.
0: Some big sporting news this Wednesday morning. Tiger Woods says he plans to contest this year's Masters in Augusta.
1: Well, as of right now, I feel like I am going to play. This is a big deal because Mm. it's just 14 months since he suffered those major injuries in a car accident. And the Masters starts Friday morning our time. So, yeah, hopefully he can get back on track.
0: And closer to home, the Brisbane Lions' Emily Bates has taken out the AFLW Best and Fairest Award. She beat Adelaide's Anne Hatchard by a single vote.
1: Brisbane Lions' E. Bates. Three votes. And I declare the 2022 AFL Women's Best and Fairest is Emily Bates from the Brisbane Lions Football Club. So, obviously, that's massively exciting for Emily Bates, but also seemed pretty exciting for her coach, Craig Starkovich, who brought the house down with a champagne chewy. (laughs) All right, thanks, Antoinette. We'll catch you later. Um, Speaking of epic sports people, we're about to talk to David Pocock, who's having a run at politics. Now
3: to our briefing interview with David Pocock who's always been a different kind of footballer. Tom, I don't watch rugby, so I didn't actually become a- <laughs> I know, right. No I didn't actually does. become aware of him in that setting, mm. but I've since listened to him speak about climate change, about same-sex marriage, and I just find him such a fascinating guy who is really principled and is kind of part of that new wave of people who want to disrupt but are trying to do it in that really traditional paradigm which I find
1: really interesting. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. He's softly spoken but he has a strong voice and I think people really took notice when you had this guy that was dominating on the rugby field but then gently but persuasively weighing in on some massive issues like climate change and same-sex marriage. So yeah, he's got a lot of people's attention, especially now that he's um, running for the Senate.
3: Definitely. And I really am so thrilled to have him on the briefing today to find out exactly why he decided to affect change in that way.
1: David, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. Now, you were the best in the world at stealing footballs in rucks. Now, that is an important skill and one that I really appreciated, but it's also quite niche. What can you bring to politics?
2: Yeah, it's not that transferable (laughs) into everyday life. What team sport does give you is a work ethic, being willing to listen to different ideas, wanting to learn, being part of a team, having to put the team ahead of yourself. That was a pretty good grounding. I'm also interested in agriculture, I've studied that university, and yeah, like so many people, I have just been so frustrated with with politics and we're clearly not dealing with the big challenges we face in a way that kind of sets us up for the future and actually turns them in opportunities. And like we've seen that with the IPCC report, we really need different voices in there pushing for change.
3: In terms of being part of a team, you've decided to kind of form your own. And I know that politics has been floated as an idea to you for for ages now because of your strong stance on so many issues, but in particular the environment and climate change. Why did you decide to become an independent? Because I'm sure it would have been so much easier to have aligned yourself with all the resources of a major party.
2: I really don't have any interest in having to tow a party line that isn't aligned with what people in the ACT want, people in my community want and, you know, doesn't align with my values. I think so much of the frustration over the last, you know, however long in politics is just this non-stop politicization of issues that we just have to get on with and deal with. And I think there's so many people wanting a more pragmatic approach and we're seeing independents actually do that. You know, Cathy McGowan, Helen Haynes, Zali Stegall, Jackie Lambie is in there every day working for the people of Tasmania. And I think there's a real push to actually repair our democracy by getting independents in there who can actually make the major parties confront things that are, frankly, just a bit inconvenient for them to have to deal with.
1: So you've got an amazing life story, Dave, growing up in Zimbabwe, then moving to Australia going to school in Brisbane, playing for the Western Force, rising to the top of the game for the Wallabies. But on the side of that, you had this political narrative. You first became known to people for holding off on your own marriage until everyone could get married after the same-sex marriage, plebiscite. And then getting arrested, locked up to that bulldozer in 2014 was when you really made your views on fossil fuels known. And I don't think it made your... um, the executives at Rugby Australia too happy at the time that you locked up to a bulldozer for 10 hours and got arrested, but it made a statement clear. So I I, I know politics has been an idea for
2: you for a long time, but when did you settle on,
1: on this decision to take this step?
2: I finished up playing rugby at the start of the pandemic in 2020 and sort of launched into an agriculture and conservation project I'd been working on, spent Seven months in Zimbabwe last year working on that project, like a really exciting little project, but kept getting calls and people in Canberra hassling me saying, listen, we think there's a viable pathway in the Senate for independent. Would you put your hand up? I guess after thinking about it, the things that I care about, you know, having arrived as an immigrant, as a 14 year old, I'm just so grateful for the opportunities Australia has given me.
3: David, when I heard that you were going to run, I couldn't help but reflect on other principled and, I guess, greatly admired Australian figures who have also thrown their hat into the ring in the past and have kind of been chewed up and spat out by that machine. You know, the person who comes to mind straight away is Petty Garrett. Does that play on your mind? And ha- have you experienced any of that sort of dog-eat-dog, cutthroat political world so far?
2: I think that's the big reason I'm running as independent. I've got no interest in those factional fights and all the nonsense that, frankly, people are are just sick of. They expect people representing us to actually hold themselves to a higher standard, to be leading on issues. At the moment, Australians are having to drag politicians to actually change, and, and that shouldn't be the way it is. Yeah, politics is cutthroat. It's serious business, but I feel like I'm up for it. And I think running as an independent, I'm in there to represent people in the ACT and I'm only accountable to people in ACT. I love living in Canberra and uh, you know, I, I love that community. So I think it is a different feel running as an independent. I can just get out in the community, talk to people, find out what, what people are frustrated by and, and want action on and then get in there and, and you know, talk about that and push for change.
1: But is there any real chance you can get in? Because this is one of the hardest territories to run in. There's only two Senate spots in the ACT, even though you have a population nearly as big as Tassie, where they have 12 mm-hmm. spots. Ken Barron's a big Labor voter, so Katie Gallagher will get back in, no worries. You've got to beat the Liberal senator who came second last time. But Zed Selja, um, the Liberal Party got thirty-two percent of the vote. So is it realistic that you can do it or is this just a first shot at you and a, a sort of I guess a a building block towards a future bid or some other kind of political platform?
2: No, uh, Tom, I I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think I could win. Senator Selja did get thirty-two percent, but then it took him till the twenty-fifth redistribution to actually get his quota of of thirty-three percent. So there's a real feeling amongst the people in Canberra that he doesn't represent the values of Canberra. He's argued against territory rights. He said that he would honor the will of the people on the marriage equality vote, and then he abstained. He's missing an action on a number of things when it comes to climate. You know, Minister for the Pacific, and we've seen what's been happening uh, in the Pacific. So, uh, you know, it is a tough pathway. It's never been done before, but someone's got to do it. And I, I think the time is now.
3: Now, if the polling is correct this time, uh, Labor looks (laughs) like they might be in government. So do you want stronger climate action than Labor is offering? And what specifically will you pressure them to do?
2: We're in a situation now where the Business Council of Australia has more ambitious targets than both major parties. And I think that fall just shows how big the economic opportunity is around decarbonisation. Australia is you know, probably the best place in the world to actually lead on this. Currently, we're dead last, where we've been dragging our heels, actively undermining efforts. My view is that we have to be as ambitious as possible. And over the next few years, we have to ensure that the policy passes savings onto the households. We're now in a situation where in the next few years, households should be able to save, on average, you know, $5,000 per household it's up to policymakers to ensure that that's set up in a way so that those savings do actually go to the household. And you think about that across a suburb, a town, a city, you know that's a huge amount of money that, that'll go back into the local economy. So it's really exciting if we get it right. We've left it very late as the IPCC report has shown, but it's still doable. We just need the political will. We, we've got all the technology and most Australians want the government to get on with it. So if it ends up
1: in the Senate that you had the balance of power, that would be amazing. You'd have a huge impact. But what if it doesn't and you're essentially relegated to influencing the Senate through committees or or getting some media attention, w- will you feel like that's a waste of
2: time or will it only be worth it if you end up with the balance of power? Well, the way it's looking, the balance of power will almost certainly be held by the crossbench and that could potentially be Pauline Hanson and Clive Palmer, or myself and others on on the crossbench. I don't think you can be a waste in the Senate if it it weren't to happen that way. The ACT has led on so many issues in Australia. Marriage equality, we're out in front. The clean energy transition, we've been out in front. We now need that leadership from the ACT at a federal level. We need voices in there pushing these things and actually using estimates and committees to ensure that we're on the right track as a country.
1: Dave, you sound a fair bit like a Greens candidate. What is the difference between you and the Greens candidate?
2: A heap of differences. I grew up on a farm, so I have some serious differences in opinions around the environment and the role that farmers have to play and really see how important small businesses are for Canberra and for our, our local economy. On the Uluru Statement from the Heart, I think it's an incredibly generous offer and am concerned the way that the Greens are pushing for a treaty first doesn't seem to be the sort of consensus, common sense approach. I want to be pragmatic. Being involved in agriculture and conservation, at the end of the day, it's about actually getting things done, rolling up your sleeves, being pragmatic, finding the middle ground and talking to people in the ACT. That's what they want. That's what they want from their elected representatives.
1: So that was the former Wallaby, David Pocock, running as an independent for the Australian Capital Territory Senate. What do you make of that, Katrina?
3: So fascinating. I love that he brings that mix of, you know, he's got such broad appeal, yet manages to straddle both worlds and be appealing to people from so many different walks of life.
1: Yeah, I think the sweet spot for Pocock is that Because he's from the rugby world, culturally, the rugby world is quite different from environmentalists. But because he does both, and because he's having to beat a Liberal senator to get the spot, he can bring those two worlds together, you know? The Greenies plus the traditional rugby fan Liberal voters, if he can win them both... And um, then he could do very well. And that's what some of those other independents have also done, like Zali Stegall. Mm-hmm. They appeal to Liberal voters culturally, but their policies are actually more, more in line with Labor and the Greens when it comes to environmental issues. So there is a sweet spot there, and I think that's his strength. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going back to Lismore to find out how people are coping who've been flooded twice in one month. Listener.